dad was my pastor uh, growing up, and uh, so he was the preacher. And then occasionally we had preachers come and through and preach for us, and then occasionally even they'd stay at our house, spend the night there, and so on. And uh, when God called me to be a preacher, I thought that's a big mistake. That's going to it's not my fault, it's his fault. He made this boo-boo. So anyway, I, I never thought about uh, when I went to Bible college and I went to work at a church that one day I would be the preacher. And uh, I, I'm thankful to be a preacher. I'm thankful that people can call me, hey, the preacher preacher and I I love it I'm grateful for it I'm thankful for God's kindness to me to let me do this and I enjoy doing it a great deal when I feel like I learned something if I have a, I get a handle on something I uh, I am thrilled to get to tell other people now if I don't know what it's about I say, well, sorry I don't know what you're talking about but, but once I learn it and get a little handle on it I really really enjoy teaching and preaching the Word of God. And uh, I've enjoyed this week with you folks. It's a blessing that some of you have been here uh, before I, the very first time I came, and we're thinking, uh, I, can't, I can't establish 100%, but it's either, I think it's 92, but it could have been 91 or 92 the first time that I came in January, and Pastor Delaney had me come all the way up until the Lord took him home, and then I came the next year in 2002, and so I came about 10 years in a row, and then uh, uh, Pastor Thompson, uh, I came back last year uh, just for Sunday, and now I've got to be here Sunday through Wednesday, and I've enjoyed the fellowship with every one of you. I've enjoyed the time, the little short time we get to spend together. I truly enjoyed the fellowship with uh, Salas and Brother Don as we've got to have a couple meals together and spend that time together and then on uh, Tuesday Nancy and I got to go over Brother Danny's and Miss Kelly's house and we enjoyed th that a great deal and Brother Danny said that uh, almost every time that I came to Bakersfield when Pastor Lane was here that we went to their house I don't remember th there's a room that we sat in and you think that you would not It'd be, it is memorable, but I don't remember it. But I do remember kind of pulling up in their front yard at the curb there, and I have, I have a memory of that, but uh, I'm disappointed that, you know, okay, I'll just say 10 years pass, go by, and then people go, yeah, you've been here before. I go, no, I haven't. And then I go, and uh, more than once. And I hated that stuff was going on inside my brain like that. It's evaporating, it's floating off. Don't have memory of it. So since we're talking about it, let's go ahead and get this off my chest. I was preaching and I was standing up like this and I was preaching away and I was preaching away and then I went. This is about six months ago this happened and I went. I knew this was going to happen someday. I just didn't know when. And that was my first time that it happened that it just went away and so I'm expecting that it could do it again someday but I, hope, I just hope it doesn't happen when I'm preaching very often 
there's a pastor up north here in California that he struggles to capture words. And I said, well, brother, how often does that happen? So, okay, he speaks Sunday morning twice. He speaks Sunday night, Wednesday, four times a week. I said, well, how often does this happen? It happens once a month, once a week. He goes, oh, it happens every time I speak. He said, it's almost a race because people in the congregation are trying to figure out what I'm trying to say, and they try to help me get at the word. I go, oh, boy. I'm not, I hope that doesn't happen to me tonight. But if it does, I'll just thank the Lord that I still get to preach. I've enjoyed it immensely. Uh, last night I asked if anybody read any of the pages of these books. Anybody else read any pages? The book? Oh, George has. What have you read? Which? Of the Baptist? Okay. Okay. You looking forward to reading it? I want you to. I want you to read it. I do. I want everybody to read it. I want every home to have one. I appreciate Pastor making sure that every home did get one. I think that he, he purchased, I don't know, was it 300 books that he purchased and that he's going to make sure everybody gets one? That's a lot. All right. Um, let's do this. Um, man, I'm struggling with if we're going to turn to pages or not. I have a feeling we're not. Let's just go to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, that's our text. And I've told you almost, I guess, maybe every service what we're going to be doing tonight. And I'm looking forward to getting this across. Uh, but I am going to cite, I'm going to talk about other passages. I just don't, I just don't think we're going to turn there. I want to, let's just all stay together and I'll, um, if, if, you, if you want to write some places down so you can check up on it later, um, that's fine, but uh, anyway, I've enjoyed it. Oh, and Pastor has asked me if I could maybe come back in two years, and I can. My calendar is open, and so by God's grace, it'll be about two years from now, either the last week of February or the first week of March, that I'll get to uh, come back, so I'll look forward to that. That'll be a blessing. All right, uh, Proverbs 21, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me, please. We stand to give reverence and honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant. It's the perfect, preserved word of God. Hallelujah. All right, let's read uh, verse 1, 2, and 3 because we did some significant work on those. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. All right, let's do this. Let's go to verse 17. That's where we started. Remember, that's what we did Sunday morning. That's how it all started, I told you. That's how all these messages came into being. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. If you believe that to be true, say amen. Even if you have a stack of gold beside you and God's angry with you, you're a poor man. Now verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. God is at work digging channels or making channels in our life to get us where he wants us so he can do the best good for us. Verse 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but 
The Lord pondereth the hearts. The Lord weighs the heart. The Lord measures the heart. The Lord knows the intents of our heart. Amen? Verse 3, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. God wants our heart. He doesn't want our performance. He wants our heart. He doesn't want our ritual. He wants our heart. He doesn't want our activity. Hallelujah. Verse number 9. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Verse 19. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. Wow. Uh, what about, why don't we flip back a page, <coughs> excuse me, uh, to chapter 19, verse 13. A foolish son is the calamity of his father, but here it is, and the, the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping Look at 1913. Uh, uh, we already did that one. Uh, look at 25, 24. That'd be good. 25, 24. Proverbs 25, 24. I think it's just a repeat. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. We'll go back to chapter 21. Were just hanging out there. Uh, let me, uh, that's just a little. Oh, Bible tool, Bible study thing. The Bible doesn't have uh, any volume control on it. And so one of the ways to realize that God is trying to get something across to turn up the volume is that he says it more than once. And then he says it again. You go, whoa, he's pretty serious about this. It's getting the volume up there. So anyway, let's have prayer and see what the Lord has to say to our hearts tonight. Our great God, I come to you again. I wanted to say thanks again. It's amazing. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you prove that you love us. That you put up with us. Oh. All of us, especially me, is so human. And my humanness gets in the way. God, I need to and I should and I, I die daily my humanness won't rule my life so God thank you for your mercy and grace in my life and thank you for opportunity that you give me to preach and to teach and I pray you'd help me tonight I sure need your help power and unction and ability to get across your truth I pray all of us are willing and ready to hear. And we're not just here passing time, but we've come to hear from you. So would you speak to us again, Lord? Have your way with us. And Jesus, we sure want you to be glorified in everything we do. So I pray that tonight you'd have your way with us. So we are looking forward to what you're going to do tonight. And we really are looking forward to to when we get to see you, Jesus. 
It's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Solomon gave himself over to self-indulgences. Somebody just pretend like your agreement, say amen. Okay, let's do more than four people. Solomon gave himself over to self-indulgences. Self-indulgences actually is all that is, is that selfishness is winning over. It's all about you, what you want. Selfishness destroys relationships. It doesn't matter, uh, husband and wife, it destroys that. Parent and child, it destroys that. Child and parent, it destroys that relationship. Co-workers, bosses, everybody with me? Selfishness destroys relationship. Here's one of the ways. It will create distance in a relationship where there should be closeness. There were two friends that hadn't seen each other in a long time. Several years had passed. These two fellas, and they had got together, and they said, Hey, let's meet, and we'll meet for a dinner, and we'll have fellowship, and we'll spend some time together to spend the evening. And they go, Okay, we'll do that. So they chose the restaurant they were going to meet, and uh, they got there, and they sat down. They were getting ready to order, and they it was kind of a family-style place, and so they ordered uh, a family style. They ordered the fish dinner. So the, when the food came in, it was served. One of them picked up the serving spatula, and he gave his buddy a piece of fish, and he gave himself a piece of fish. And his buddy goes, well, you got the nerve, don't you? He goes, well, what's the problem? He said, you gave me the small piece of fish, and you took the big one. He goes, man, I'm how would you have done it? How would you have done it? He said, well, if I was the one serving, I would have taken the small one, and I would have given you the big one. And he goes, well, you got what you wanted, didn't you? <laughs> and they laughed about it. But I will tell you that selfishness rarely ends up in laughter. Two little boys were sitting down for breakfast. Mom was preparing pancakes. And uh, one of the little boys, a couple years older than the other, Kevin and Tyler. And so they're arguing about who gets pancakes first. And Kevin's the oldest, and he said, I get pancakes first because I'm the oldest. And Tyler goes, no, I should get pancakes first because I'm the baby. And he goes, no. And so they're arguing, and the mom goes, this is going to be a great opportunity to teach these kids some character. So she says, hey, boys, stop, stop, stop. If Jesus was here, he would let his brother have the pancakes first. So Kevin spoke up right away and said, okay, Tyler, you be Jesus. And that's the deal. We all want someone else to be Jesus so we get to be first. That's yeah. our nature. It's our nature to want someone else to put us first. That's how us humans are made. 
You don't have to teach a child to be proud. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You never one time have to tell a baby how to say, mine, mine, mine. They just learn that it's theirs, and they don't want anybody else messing with it. Is everybody hearing me? You don't have to teach that. It's part of us being a human. Humans are born sinners, and we're born selfish. We want attention. We want to be recognized. We want to be taken care of. We want to be first. It's also true that sometimes we are much nicer to people out in public that we don't even know them. But we'll be polite to them and kind to them and we'll show them deference or we'll let them go first or we'll try to help them do something. We don't even know them. And we're nicer to them than we are the people inside our own house. In our own house, we don't show patience or deference or let me help you and all that. We go, buzz off. I got stuff to do. Don't bother me. Isn't that a true? Wait a minute. We can flip that around. It's also true that sometimes we're out in public and someone has provoked us or someone did not do what we were expecting them to do. And so we feel like, well, someone needs to let them know. And we light into them, and we give them a piece of our mind, and we tell them this is what they ought to be doing. And, all, and we go ballistic, and we think, well, someone needs to tell them. I'll never see them again anyway. I might as well tell them. Can I just tell you both of those attitudes are wrong? Neither one of them are acceptable. We should not treat people better out there we don't know than our own family. And we ought not treat people out there that we don't know with rudeness and crudeness because we think we'll never see them. But we are selfish people. I thought I'd give you a definition from, uh, from the dictionary about uh, selfishness. Listen to how the Webster's defines it. He says, Concerned excessively or exclusively with one's own self. Seeking or concentrating on one's own advantage for pleasure, for well-being. And we are all selfish people. These two verses, verse 9 and 19, address... Specifically, the relationship between a husband and wife. I believe it's kind of fascinating. There's a little bit of application that kind of shows up in the text, like in verse number 10. If you look at verse 10, it says, The soul of the wicked desireth evil, his neighbor findeth no pleasure in his eyes. Just right after it talks about this brawling woman, it now mentions a neighbor. And I know there's a lot, there's, in the verse, there's other contexts and so on, but I'm just saying, right very next door, now it speaks about a neighbor. And here's what I'm saying, is that the relationships we have are all, um, they're interacted with our selfishness. And that could be our neighbor our co-worker, a family member. Is everybody with me? 
an absolute stranger. All of this. And so what we need to do is realize that um, selfishness can foul up our relationships with anybody. Amen? It's not just husband and wife, but that's what the text is speaking to here. So selfishness in a marriage. You know what selfishness does in a marriage? It will cause, one of the ways you could say it in, the, in vocabulary that people say, they say, I don't know what happened, there just seems like there's a wall between us now. Somehow or another, we, we've got this wall separating us. I, I prefer the word there's a, a gap between us or a canyon there's a canyon between us does anybody hear what I'm saying I'm just saying this is kind of the vocabulary that people that are married end up using that listen to how it could happen either spouse doesn't matter male or female but either spouse could say I just don't feel the same I don't feel the same way that I used to I don't feel the way I used to towards you. Is everybody with me? The feelings have changed. Hmm. Here's one that's used also. I don't know why, but they just don't understand me anymore. They don't understand me anymore. That's another popular one. I think this is the most popular one, and the one that people accept readily that, well, I understand. We just kind of grew apart. Now listen carefully. What would cause a husband and wife to grow apart? Listen carefully. Here's how it happens. That one of them becomes selfish and they start fulfilling what they are going after and they are ignoring the other one. And that's called growing apart. Anybody hearing me? The only reason that they grew apart is that one of them began to be selfish. Is anybody listening? When one becomes selfish, and I don't know, I don't, maybe, man, I'm going too fast. I just know I am. Selfish, let me say that definition again a little bit. Concerned exclusively or excessively with one's own self. One of them just said, well, I think I deserve to be happy. She's not treating me like she used to. Or, I think I deserve to be happy. He doesn't, doesn't look at me the way he used to. Is anybody hearing me? And so when you feel like you're being deprived or you're not getting what you expected, you go, well, I deserve it. And you become concerned excessively, exclusively with what you want. And you're disregarding this person here. Is anybody hearing me? I call it growing apart. It's, it's actually called selfishness. And it's not just girls who are selfish, and they are. It's not just boys or men that are selfish, and they are. But when a marriage begins to grow apart, when there becomes this chasm, this gap between the husband and wife, it's because some choices have been made 
called selfishness. You need to be satisfied, and you have found this satisfies me. It can be a ball game. It can be a billiard room. It can be a, a stool at a bar. It can be hunting. It can be fishing. It can be mechanics, car. It doesn't matter. Is everybody with me? There's anything that can grab you. And the girls are just as susceptible as fellows. Wow. In the text, it says a man would rather be uncomfortable in his living quarters. He'd rather be in the corner of the housetop than in a wide house. He'd rather be uncomfortable in where he's sleeping than be uncomfortable with the attacks of that woman down there. That's what it says. Dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. What is a brawling woman? What is that anyway? Have any of you ever seen, I don't know, maybe, uh, usually you could do it by a news item. It might help something. But there's a group of people there and someone gets mad. And maybe it's, you could do a sports team. A, a pitcher throws a ball and he throws it, you know, does some chin music. And the, the, the batter is mad at the pitcher and they're going to get in the thing. And then both dugouts and it turns into a brawl. That means there's a lot of action going on. And so when you think of a brawling woman, we're thinking, Mom, baby, the fists are flying. She's kicking and she's biting and she's scratching. Ah, brawling woman. And it does give a, off of a flavor like that. But it, here's, if you do the work on it, listen to what brawling, just if you pick it off out of Strong's Concordance, just pick off the word with the dictionary, it says this. It's a contentious woman, an angry woman, a woman that is in debate. Here's another word for debate, quarrelsome, argumentative. Everything that's brought up, ah, there's got to be some more arguing. There's got to be some more quarreling. There's got to be some more anger some more griping is everybody hearing me okay i don't know if you can hear it or not hear something like this when he walks in and she is always on his case is everybody hearing me i didn't write it it's in the bible she's a contentious she's a brawling woman she's argumentative she's mad she's angry My pastor, Jason Gaddis, said, he said, his dad said, boy, when you get married, buy furniture that's very, very heavy. It's so heavy that she cannot pick it up and hit you with it. Or buy furniture so light that when she does hit you with it, it doesn't hurt. An angry woman. Now, I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. Brawling woman, contentious woman. Let's just be honest. Is there today in humanity, humanness, are there, is there such a thing as a quarrelsome woman? Just asking. 
argumentative, contentious. You know what a contentious woman, what the Bible says distinctly, I mean directly, about this contentious woman? Do you know why she's contentious? Two things. One is obvious, but the other one comes out of it, so she's selfish. But really and truly, what the Bible says, she's full of pride. Only by pride, Proverbs 13, 10, 10, 13, only by pride cometh contention. Anytime, anytime there's contention, it comes by pride. You, you got to agree with the Bible. Only by pride cometh contention. So if there's any contention taking place, that means somebody wants it their way. I think I told someone this the other day. I'm not sure so long, but Nancy and I have been married 45 years. We do not fight. We don't have those kind of fight things anymore. We haven't done that for 30 years. We've been married 45 years. Now we have uh, intense fellowship. So when we have intense fellowship, I know why we're having it. Amen? Why? The Bible says contention, intense fellowship, only comes by pride. Amen? So when we are having intense fellowship, I look right at her and say, Nancy, the Bible says you have pride. Am I right or wrong? I am right. How do I know I'm right? Listen, here's what the Bible says. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. So I know I'm right. And so her contention with me, this intense fellowship we're having, I know, I know I'm the one that's right. So it's all her fault. And while she's in this intense fellowship with me, she's going with it knucklehead thinks he's right and he's dumber than a box of rocks this ain't right this is not right and she's thinking i know i'm right how do i know that she thinks she's right because the bible says every way of a man is right in their own eyes she thinks she's right anybody hearing me and so selfishness and pride says and she keeps doing it. And she's argumentative. And she's quarrelsome. Nancy, according to the Holy Bible, you're supposed to have a meek and quiet spirit. One Peter. It's in the Holy Bible. Amen? Exactly. The Bible says she should have this. But if she doesn't, I would rather... I would rather be uncomfortable where I'm sleeping than be with her even though it's the house is as wide as a mall shopping center. 
When it says a wide house, it gives off this picture that it's as wide as you can imagine. Mercy. See the leaky faucet? Leaky roof? Continual dropping? You're driving me nuts, woman. Is anybody hearing me? I just heard this response the other day. I never have used this response to Nancy, but it's appropriate probably for many of us men to tell our wife, Hey, honey, you don't have to keep telling me what to do for three months. I'll get to it. I'm going to do it sometime. You don't have to keep saying it for three months over and over and over. I'll do it sometime. Is anybody hearing me? And it's really not her. It's because of us that she's doing that there. Is everybody hearing me? Because we kept saying we were going to do it. We just look at her eyeball and say, hey, woman, don't ask me again. I'm going to do it before this year is over, I hope. <laughs> yep. I want to read you what Matthew Henry said. I, I don't talk like him, but the, I think he says it pretty good. What a great affliction it is to a man to have a brawling, scolding woman for his wife. Who upon every occasion, and often upon no occasion, breaks out into a passion and chides him, either him or those about her. It's fretful to herself and furious to her children. He finds it to no purpose to contradict the, mo the most unreasonable passion, for it is unruly and rages so much the more. He finds its best way to retire into a corner of the house than to sit alone there and sit alone there than and be out of the hearing of her clamor. A man with a contentious wife would rather face the storms that are outside than the storms that are brewing inside. A man with a contentious or brawling wife would rather be exposed to the heat of being outdoors than the heat of her wrath again. Listen carefully, fellows. Please listen. Ladies, listen. If a man does not have a wife with a meek and quiet spirit, he will find a place that offers him some quiet. Is anybody hearing me? Might be the shop. Might be the garage. Might be like a zombie in front of the TV. You can pick any place. Ladies, please acknowledge and accept what the Bible says. There's such thing as a brawling, contentious, argumentative <laughs> woman that a man just says, I can't take it anymore. There's such a thing as that. Don't act like there's not. And since we're talking about it, don't act like there's not that, such a thing in God's house. 
Inside here we have humans. And humans, humanities, behave like humans. I don't know if you heard this at the very beginning. Every one of us are born selfish. We want what we want. Okay, listen, fellas. It's not just women who are angry and contentious and brawling, argumentative. The very same thing can be said about a contentious husband. In fact, here's how Proverbs says it. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. Make no friendships with an angry man. Angry man stirreth up strife. Anger resteth in the bosom of a fool. Wrathful men stirreth up strife. It is not just women who are quarrelsome, that are angry, that are doing... There are men that go... Is anybody hearing me? It's not just ladies, fellows. There are men who are just as much at fault of being quarrelsome and argumentative and hard to get along with as it is... There are men, they just cannot stop. Why? Because they're selfish. They want it their way. They want it like they want it. Hey, ladies, what you need to do is make sure you're the right kind of spouse. Oh, what would, what would that mean? Well, you have a meek and quiet spirit. Well, what is that? It's not. It's not that. It's not someone who is bellyaching and someone who is griping and someone who's complaining. Well, you don't know who I live with. The Bible doesn't say, well, if you live with an idiot, then you can, you can be a brawling woman. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say, if you live with an angry man, then you can be a contentious woman. That's not what the Bible says. Is anybody hearing me? The Bible says, have a meek and quiet spirit. If this verse in any way, verse 9 and 19, describes you in any way, you must sometime come to the point where you acknowledge and accept that you are doing damage to your marriage and your family. Ladies, here we go. Your marriage needs these two things specifically. Love and respect. Girls, you need to love your husband. I love him. He just makes me sick. You need to love him and respect him. And I thought uh, I would do this real fast. And I'm, I, evidently, I'm going to. 
just listen to girls listening. If you're to love your husband, here's, the Bible says, hey, you elderly ladies, teach the youngers to love their husbands. That's what the Bible tells you to do. What, what, what would it be to love your husband? Listen to love defined in Corinthians. Just listen to it. If, if you have love, Corinthians 13, love or charity, here's what it is, suffereth long. That means you're long-suffering toward your hard-headed, bone-headed husband. Suffereth long, envieth not. You're not jealous of him. You're not jealous of all the other ladies with their happy marriage. Vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. You're not full of pride and you're not saying, Hey, 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 look how awesome I am and how great I am. Does not behave itself unseemly. You never ever could have the finger pointed at you and say, Good night. You're behaving like a wild woman. I'm, I've heard of brawling and contentious before, but you are doing a good job of it. No, you're never, never ever accused of that. Seeketh not her own. I don't know if you got that or not. She's always interested in somebody else. It's not easily provoked. Some people, all it takes is dropping a glass or walking by. They're provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Now, ladies, listen, that's how the Bible describes and When the Bible says you're supposed to love your husband, that's what you're supposed to do. And since you brought it up, fellows, that's how you're supposed to love her. Those same descriptions apply to you, too. But when a woman's supposed to love her husband and respect him, when you are and you're arguing and you're complaining and you're belly aching and you're always in his case, when you're doing that, you are not showing respect to him. That is not respectful. You need to love him and respect him. That might be why he behaves like he behaves because you haven't been showing him the respect and love that you should have. And that, why, that might be why he's out there doing whatever he does and he doesn't have any time for you. I know, I don't know, physiologically, scientifically, all human-born men are born with some brain damage. We all have it. And most of the time it shows up because we behave like men. We say the dumbest things at the wrong time and we, and we can't put it back in there. We act like a man. That doesn't excuse it. No, 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 doesn't excuse it at all. I'm just saying you girls have got a lot of work to live with a man that acts like a man. But the Bible doesn't say if he starts acting like a man and he's really being a goober, you can punch him out. You can be brawling. You can be contentious. No, the Bible doesn't say that. 
Bible says you're supposed to love and respect him. In fact, the Bible says you're supposed to be subject unto your own husbands. Be submissive to your husband. Well, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's crazy. He doesn't have a clue of how to do it. And you, I've been in the ministry a long time. I'm an old preacher now. I'm telling you, I've seen more than one wife, more than one mother do this. Okay, kids, don't tell your dad. Don't tell him about this because he doesn't understand. He won't. Okay, this is just between us. Why would she do that? Well, because he's an idiot. He doesn't understand. But all she's doing is she is teaching these children to go behind their dad's back and don't tell him stuff that they want to do. That's not respectful at all. Well, he's going to mess up. Well, you married him. Why don't you love and respect him and in private talk to him about what you would like to do and don't do it secretly? Amen? Why? Because you're subject to your husband. You're submissive to him. How, how, how subject should you be to him? Well, as the church is subject to Christ. However the church responds to Jesus is how a wife is supposed to respond to her husband. Are we supposed to argue with Jesus? Are we supposed to tell him buzz off? We tell him you don't know what he's talking about? Is anybody hearing me? Well, my husband's not Jesus. I know he's not Jesus. But God has the chain of command, and he has the husband as the authority, and the wife is subject in submission to her own husband. Bubba, listen, you didn't marry a slave. You didn't marry a servant. You married your wife. She is your helpmeet. She's your partner. She's not your slave. So since we're talking about it, Bubba, how are you supposed to love her? We're supposed to love her as Christ loves the church. Well, how does Christ love the church? Well, number one, he died for her. Willingly laid down his life. Why? Because she comes first. Not you, Bubba. Not you and your rifles. Not you and your guns. Not you and your car. Not you and your motorcycle. Not you and your golf equipment or your fishing pole or you and your buddies. They don't come first. She does. Is anybody hearing me? He died for her. He protects her. He does everything to keep harm from her. He would not take her on a, in a place, in a building, in an atmosphere where there's wickedness and sin all around that she could get caught up in it just because he likes it. Is anybody hearing me? He'll do everything he can to protect her, provide for her. Love her. Give her attention. Since you brought it up, why did she marry you in the first place? Why did she say yes when you asked her to marry you? Did she say yes because I was mean to her? Because I yelled at her? Because I griped at everything she did? I didn't like anything? Or did she say yes to me because I gave her attention and I looked at her with kind, exciting eyes. <laughs> and I talked about how beautiful she was. How I couldn't believe she would sit in the car with me. I talked to her about our future plans and what we might do together. And I actually could talk to her on the phone for an hour. I mean an hour. This is before cell phones. We had pay phones. I was at the end of the hall at college, and I'd call her. 
Hey. And now if I call her on the phone and I've got a long drive and I'm calling her, oh, and I'm, I don't know, four to six minutes, it's about over. Well, it's been good to talk to you, Nancy. I love you. I'll see you later. Bye. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? But you know why she said yes? Because I gave her attention and I could spend an hour on the phone with her. I didn't mind giving her two hours of my life. I look forward to the moments that we could spend together. <laughs> I loved how she touched me. I loved how I felt when I touched her hand. Got the electricity going through me. Whoa. My toes tingled. Is anybody hearing me? You know the reason that your wife might be going, because it's how you talk to her now. It's not how you talk to her when you got her to say yes. How you speak to her now? Talk to her, you talk to your dog nicer than you talk to your wife? What? I don't know if you're hearing any of this. I'll just, uh, I'll just go ahead and be honest with you. I, I know that you old people have been here a long time, but uh, you've heard me talk about it a little bit, but uh, I didn't always treat Nancy the way I treat her now. And I had to grow into it, but also God changed me with a car wreck. When my dad, my dad, my mom has 11 children. We're not real far apart in age, but anyway, she had a husband she took care of and had 11 children she took care of. Dad worked a secular job, plus he pastored a church. My mom laid his clothes out on the bed. What he's wearing to work, I'm talking underwear, socks, shoes, shirt, everything. When he went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, laying on the bed. He didn't have to pick out socks or shoes or shirt. They were right there. She took care of him like that. She fed him tea and beans and cornbread and taters. That's what we had mostly. She fed him, took care of him. Did the laundry. She did all that stuff for him and 11 kids. So when I got married, I thought, She'd be like my mom. Now, my mom didn't do it because she was a slave. She did it because in her generation, you're supposed to love your husband and be submissive to him and take care of him. You're the helpmate. Now, in our generation, they don't think that's really a Bible thing, but it still is. When I married Nancy, I wasn't expecting her to be my slave or servant, but I did think she'd probably take care of me like my mom took care of dad. This would be awesome. She'd do, fix my food and do my laundry. <laughs> I was a goober, man. I'm full blood goober. I would come home and say, hey, how come you don't have any tea ready? That's what time I get home every day. It seemed like you'd have the tea ready. I mean, in the ice, in the big glass, ready, sweet tea. Why didn't you make some tea? Well, I haven't had time to. Well, it seemed like you'd know I was coming. Hey, Nancy, whenever you make my sandwiches from now on when I take them to work. We have bologna and cheese. That's what we had. 
I said, would you put the mustard on the cheese side, please? The ketchup goes on the bologna side. That's how I like it. How stupid is that? But that's what I told her. I wasn't, she wasn't my slave or anything, but I thought, well, I might as well tell her how I like it. It's like ordering something from a, you know, the uh, waitress, just how you want it. You thought they'd bring it like that. I wasn't being mean to her. I just thought I was telling her how I like it. I told her how to iron my shirt. <laughs> how stupid is that? I said, hey, Nancy, when you iron the shirt, see, this is called a cuff. It goes round and round. You don't put a <laughs> crease in it. The crease goes up here. When you hang it up, Nancy, button the top three buttons, skip a button, and button two more. That way it won't wad up in the closet. How dumb is that? It's idiotic. I wasn't acting. I know some of your girls are going, I'll show you what I'll do with the iron, Bubba. I'll show you exactly what I can do with the iron. I wasn't trying to be mean to her or hateful and all that. I was just saying, this is how I like it. That's why I like it. It was just us two at first. And we had some people move in with us. That's a little bitty person about this big. Moved in, stayed with us. We had to keep looking at it, feed it, and touch it. A year later, another one moved in. Now we got two of them. Now she has to take care of them and me. And I don't think I was horrible, but I just didn't think about stuff until she was in a bad wreck. She was in a coma 50 days, in the hospital six months, in a wheelchair for a year. She had severe brain damage. It changed my life. Used to, I'd walk in the house and say, where's the tea? Now when I walk in, I said, hey, I'm going to get some tea. Would you like some tea? Hey, Nancy, I'm getting ready to do some laundry. Do you have anything you want me to do? Anybody hearing me? It changed me completely. What I tell people is don't wait till a wheelchair comes in your life before you start treating your wife like you could help her. Don't wait for a wheelchair to come into your mama's life before your kids start helping your mama. You can help her now. You don't have to wait until a wheelchair comes. But two little girls, nine and ten years old, it changed their life. I tell girls, ladies, don't wait for your husband to get in a wheelchair before you start taking care of him. Is anybody hearing me? It goes both ways. But God used it to help me to realize the value that I had in my life. He changed me completely. Nancy can do laundry. She can do laundry. Today I did laundry at the hotel. The laundry's on the fourth floor. We're on the third floor. And uh, I did laundry. She can do it. But she'd have to carry the bag and walk down the hall and go upstairs and go find the thing and do it and then walk down. Well, I don't like for her to walk by herself. She can. She can go to Walmart. She can go to the mall by herself and walk around. But she does stumble. She doesn't have good balance. When I can, I feel like I'm the one that should carry it. I should hold her hand so she won't fall. She holds my elbow almost all the time. Everywhere we go, when we're walking together and she's beside me, I just do this and she puts her hand in there and she, we just know that's how we do it. We've been doing it like that for 30 years. God changed my life. Is everybody hearing me? 
When Christ told me to love her like he loves the church, it's impossible for me to give her too much love. It's impossible for me to give her too much attention, too much time. Does she have to tell me every once in a while? She has never said, would you just get out of here and leave me alone? I can't take it anymore. If she says anything, she's going to say, why don't you spend the day with me, honey? I was with you all day yesterday. We sat right here in the hotel room. You read a book, I read some, and I did some stuff. We were together the whole day. And all she's saying is that we were in the same room, but we weren't together. Anybody hear me? Am I really good at being together? Well, about five minutes a day, I do real good. Then later on, maybe four or six hours, eight hours later, I can give her five more. But I know this, if I want her to treat me with love and respect, I should treat her with love and respect. Girls, if you want him to treat you with love and respect, show him love and respect. And maybe he'll want to get out of the corner of the housetop and come down there and hang out with you. I have one more verse I need to show you. I believe it has great power for what we're doing right now. And it's, uh, where's my Bible? It's Proverbs 19, I think. Let's flip back a page. Oh, I'm in Corinthians. Proverbs 19. Maybe it's not 19. I guess it's uh, 18, yeah. I got the numbers inside out. Well, that was 1918, it's 1819. Okay, you ready? It's just one more verse. We're going to talk about it about five minutes. I'll be done. Okay. I told you verse 19. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Now, in the Holy Bible, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. Okay, look up here. Danny Blair is my brother in Christ. And he reminded me Tuesday that I've been to his house probably eight or nine times. <laughs> just, we had this 10 or 15 years difference where we didn't do it anymore, but then I went. And I enjoy being with him. But let's just be all, is it possible that I could offend Danny Blair? Is it possible? Yeah. It's possible. It's possible I could offend him by something I said or say. Even if I didn't mean to offend him, and I did offend him. Is everybody with me? It's possible I could offend him. A brother offended, here's what the Bible says, is harder to be won than a strong city. So you've got this city that's got the walls around it, got bars in the castle, like it says, and it says the contentions are stronger than the bars in the castle. So the brother that's offended saying, you ain't getting near me, you stay away from me, I don't want to look at you, I don't want to talk to you, stay away. But when the Bible says it's harder to be one than a strong city, it's not saying that it's impossible. This is going to be stinking hard. 
Now, am I supposed to be willing to restore my relationship with my brother? If he has good reason to be offended, if I think, well, that's a silly reason to be offended, but he has good reason that he thinks he has good reason to be offended, it still doesn't change the fact that I should want me and my brother. The Bible says we're supposed to love one another, and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. So if I have the right heart and attitude, I'd want to get the offense taken care of. Is everybody with me? What's well, harder than a strong city? You know there's a, a record of a battle that happened 30 years that this one army was trying to capture this city for 30 years before they captured it? Well, how long should I wait? As long as it takes. How long should I try to get the offense taken care of? To be forgiven. To be accepted. As long as it takes. Is everybody hearing me? All right, now watch, watch. I'm going to turn this around. She's not my brother like Brother Danny is. She's my wife. But if I offend her, it would be just like offending my brother. The offense is still offense. And it would be harder to be one than a strong city. Is anybody getting this? Do we have the, do, since I'm talking about it, have I offended her? Uh, yeah. Did I mean to? Not every time. There were some times I just I let loose and I went, yeah, yeah, I said it. But then I knew it was wrong, and uh, is everybody hearing me? But there's time I've offended her, and I didn't even know, I didn't mean to. I just, she took it that way, and I'm going, I didn't mean for you to be that way. But she's a woman, and I'm not. So I've offended her. I've got two daughters, I've offended them. Is everybody hearing me? Harder be one than a strong city. Their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Well, should I want to overcome the offense? Okay, girls, I told you a while ago, this men had brain damage. Here we go. Here's one clue. When I say, Nancy, I know I hurt your feelings. I offended you. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. I'm serious. I'm sorry. And her feelings are hurt, man. Do you know what I want her to do? I want her to go. Yes, I forgive you. I know that you don't mean to be mean and like that, but I do forgive you. And this is what I want. I want to be able to come up and hug her and her hug me back and go, it's all over, it's, it's fine. No, 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 no. Just because she forgave me doesn't mean she's still not offended and has a bruise. And us men, now I get my feelings hurt because she didn't let me hug her or she didn't hug me back. I thought she forgave me. Come on. Is anybody hearing me? It's harder to be one than a strong city. We want it over. Us men are, we want it over now. Me and Danny can get in a fist fight and bloody each other and be mad about it. And then half an hour later, we can sit down and drink some tea together. I forgive you, man. I know you're stupid. Or he forgives me. I know you're stupid. Is everybody with me? But the girls go, uh-uh, Bubba. It ain't over like that. 
That's going to take me a minute. Well, how long is a minute? I know, I know us fellows go, well, Jesus forgave me. You should too. You know, Jesus forgives us, but she's not deity. She's not Jesus. She, she can forgive me. It doesn't mean she's still not bruised and hurt. It could take months. Why would it take that long? Because of how dumb I am, how bad I hurt her feelings. Everybody hearing me? And I'm walking around on eggshells trying to do good. I love you. I love you today. I love you. Please don't be mad. I love you. I can be honest with her and real. Say, Nancy, I know I hurt your feelings, and I want you to get over it. And I'm just, but I don't know if you're getting this. When I'm selfish, I want my way. Well, she should forgive me by now. I'm trying my best, her, so I'll just find someone else if that's how she's going to act. No, 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 no. I don't want us to grow apart. I want us to grow together. See, there's a reality of this thing about uh, when you offend somebody. If it's a church member, there's all kinds of people, well, I got offended there. Well, get it. You're going to have to get over it. But it might be harder. It might be harder than a strong city. But that doesn't mean you give up. That doesn't mean it doesn't work. It will work. Christianity is true. It's real. It's loving. It's forgiving. It suffereth all things. It believeth all things. Can somebody say amen? Mercy, it endureth all things. That doesn't mean it doesn't take work. That's kind of like if we would start behaving toward each other not selfishly but lovingly and respectfully and giving, it would be like we're having a revival. I love it. Our homes can really and truly change. They can be a home that magnifies Christ. The light of Christ is there. It doesn't have to be a home where we go, shh, quiet, we don't do that. No, it's all about Jesus, amen? Wow. So if you're not saved, number one, first and foremost, you need to get saved. That's it. Without salvation, you don't have the opportunity to have Christ work in your life and make you like him if you are saved just because you're saved this is still true this is still real this flesh is just as real as it was before you got saved but you can't let this be in charge of your life can't be on the throne of your life you got to get off the throne and put christ put the lord on the throne so i need you to be in charge of my life because I, I can mess this life up easy i can ruin this thing Amen? I ask you to stand. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I'd like to pray with you, please. Dear God, I come to you again. I just want to say thanks again. Thanks again. Hallelujah. Thank you for how this message tonight helps me reminds me and my love for Nancy and my love for Angie and Becky. Just the love I have for friends at McKee Road Baptist Church. Lord, thank you. 
how we ought to encourage one another. Like we read the other day in Hebrews, we exhort one another. God, I pray that you will get all the glory, the honor, Lord, that we would surrender and submit to you. Jesus, if there are any, is there, is anybody that's not yet saved, please, please touch their heart, convince them they need to be forgiven of their sin. You're the Savior. I pray they turn to you. I pray that your people, all of us, would surrender and yield to you. Thank you, Christ. Our heads are bowed. And Brother Don and Miss Alice are going to begin the invitation song. And as they begin, I'll just ask you to respond to the Holy Spirit. God is touching your heart or there's something you want to pray about, something you want to rededicate, something you want to surrender, something you want to praise God for or beg God for. Hallelujah. This is a proper time. Amen. Amen.